and verse 18. Okay, I'm reading from the NLT version, the New Living Translation. An angel appeared, appears to Joseph. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfil the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Okay, so that's the that's the this morning's Bible reading with match. Uh, good morning and thanks again for, for having me um, here today, um, especially giving me the privilege to uh, talk about Christmas uh, this time of year you know, as we celebrate God taking on human nature, um, God becoming human in order to save humans, God becoming human in order to redeem humans. Um, now, at a first reading of our, our Bible reading we had just then, um, it'd be very, very easy to see Joseph and Mary the same as like any other romantic comedy, like any of these ones up here. It's a classic boy meets girl, then there's this big moment of tension, uh, and our tension today, well, Mary gets pregnant and the boy wants to run away. Okay, We get a little bit of divine intervention, and then they all live happily ever after. Um, so what makes romantic comedies worthwhile, at least for some people, um, it's a tension between the two parties. You know, they might be completely oblivious of one another for most of the movie, or things might be going great until there's a, a massive miscommunication, or the guy is just a jerk from the start, or they just outright hate each other. Um, and some of us, we're left in our seats questioning, is this relationship ever going to work? Or why did he just say that? Or if he was less of a jerk, the movie could have finished half an hour ago. Uh, and as we come to Matthew's Gospel, it's easy as fellow humans to focus on the humans, the tension between Joseph and Mary. But as we come to this story, I want you to see the real tension is not between Joseph and Mary. It's actually between God and us. Okay? When will God and his people finally get it together? When can God and his people finally live happily ever after? And the entire plot, plot of the entire Bible is God patiently pursuing his people. And God's always the main character pursuing us. 
And we are always walking further and further and further from him. Um, a few years ago, I started reading through the Bible with this, this mindset of, of God chasing after humanity and, and people continually walking away. And I saw it over and over and over, um, all the way through the book of Genesis. God, time and time again, fresh start, fresh start, fresh start. And people, time and time again, walking away from God. When, when is God and people, when are they finally going to get it together? Because um, the temptations they had back then... Same temptations I have today. I'm constantly doing the same thing as they did back then, walking away from God. And there's this moment in Exodus, I'm calling it a beautiful moment, where God is trying to rescue his people from Egypt. Uh, and then you've got Moses having big, big trouble with Pharaoh. The Israelites, they don't want God to rescue. It means more hard labor. Okay? Pharaoh doesn't want God to rescue. And even Moses doesn't want God to rescue. And there's this point where God constantly going after his people again and again. And at this particular moment, no one wants God. No one wants his rescue. And to me, this is the point of when is God and humanity finally going to, to make things happen? That's the entire plot line of the, the Old Testament, this, this tussle between God and humanity. How is this relationship ever going to get off the ground? Um, how is a holy and loving God ever going to be able to put up with sinful humanity. Um, on one level, I can only speak of my own heart, uh, my own heart very prone to wander. And, and I don't know your hearts personally, but, but I think the Bible gives me enough certainty to know that your heart also is prone to wander, wander from God. Uh, I think if we're all honest, we all want to rewrite the rules, have a little Ten Commandments 2.0, uh, we all want to tell God the better version of what is right and wrong, all the while pointing the finger at all the problems out there, uh, not the evil that's inside of us. Um, you know, what about all the, the jealousy and the hatred and the stubbornness and the pride inside all of us? Um, I've always prided myself on being cool, calm, collected. Um, and then one day I'm, I'm speaking to a telco on the phone. You know, my voice getting progressively louder, my face getting progressively redder. Um, and, and since that conversation, I've, I've become a lot more aware of what's actually going on inside. It's, it's just the anger that lets it come out. And I'm more aware of my heart problem. And this is why I need a saviour. This is why we need a saviour. This is why we need God to pursue us. This is why we need Christmas. You know, this, this passage opens talking about this Messiah, um, the one who will save. And I'll, I'll read it out. Um, hopefully it's not too small for, for us up back there. But this is how the birth of the Messiah came about. Now, I'm not sure if you know what Messiah means. I'll often ask students and they'll say, it means Christ. And it does. And I'll say, well done. But what's Christ mean? And um, they'll often say it's, it's king or they'll say saviour, and I'll, I'll always tell them it's actually both. It's a, a king and saviour. It's a king promised by God who will rescue his people. And the passage starts, here is the king, here is the saviour, here is Jesus. Come to rescue me from the sin that is in my heart. Now, I won't go through all of this slide, but I'll just highlight bits and pieces up there for you. You can read it for yourself, this tension be between Joseph and Mary. But basically... Mary is pregnant, Joseph wants out, but the main character is God. 
God's the main character. He's the one I want you to focus on today. And in this pregnancy is God's doing. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Um, I was having friend. I was having um, dinner at a friend's house in Brisbane, and uh, one of their one of their children burst out loudly. Mummy's got a, a baby in her tummy, and, and at which point the the husband announces, grinning ear to ear, and I put it there. Um, and this is this is God's rescue mission we see up here. This is God proudly announcing to us, "See that baby? That was me." Um, and in verse. In verse 20, um, I'll read it out. But after, after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared. So Joseph, when he gets cold feet, just remember God is the main character. God is the one swinging the decision, telling Joseph, that baby, that was me. Go and marry the girl. Okay. Um, Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So, so then you have God, the main character, deciding both the name of the child and also the mission of the child to save from sins. Not salvation from the Romans, not salvation from financial hardship, the mission of the Messiah is to resolve the ultimate tension between us and God. Um, so in, in, verse, in verse 22, God also, taking initiative, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. You know, all of this is according to God's plan. God's the main character, and he had it written down by Isaiah 700 years earlier. Um, and I think our next one... And here's what Isaiah writes, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, you've, not, you've probably noticed I've highlighted three things up there, but basically, Isaiah, in, in context... Um, that song we just sang then, I think, was Isaiah chapter 9, talking about unto us a son is born um, and he'll be called mighty God, amongst other things. But this is Isaiah 7 about Emmanuel. And in context, it's basically Isaiah predicting God is going to come and rescue his people. I remember when this church faced the other direction and there was a big banner across the, the back. I think it said Emmanuel. Um, but, but here we have God, the main character, Emmanuel arriving on the scene to save his people from their sins. And the passage ends with Joseph listening to God, who is the main character. He names the child um, Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, if, um, if you've been tracking with me so far, well done. If you've fallen asleep, then um, basically what, I, what I've said so far is that the greatest tension in the world is between God and us. Uh, not, not between person and person. You might think otherwise at some of the Christmas parties you're, you're about to go to. Um, it's not even the great tension between nation and nation. The greatest tension in the universe is between God and humanity. And this is why we need Christmas. God himself becoming human in order to rescue humans from ourselves. Um, now my, 
my car is a uh, it's a Subaru Liberty. It's about 16 years old, and I I've probably got more problems than fingers that I could count with to list all of the things that, that I know are wrong with the car, uh, and I just put up with a lot of them. And it's got a you know big massive rusty dent just above one of the wheels, and the paint's flaking everywhere. And if one of you I'll say accidentally goes and scratches you know puts a dent in my car, you know why would I forgive you? It's because I don't care. That's why. You can put a few dents on there, and as long as it's an accident, um, I'm not, I just don't care, to be honest. Um, and, and we can ask, well, why can't God be a bit like me? You know, It's the question we all like to ask. Why can't God just forgive and forget? Why does he have to be so demanding? Why can't God just accept me for who, who I am? Because, after all, he made me this way. Um, now, forgiveness for God would be so easy if God were not just and if God were not holy. Okay? The problem we all face is actually the, the holiness of God. And, and I think all of us, regardless of how long you've been in the church, we, uh, we constantly underestimate the gravity of our own sin, and we constantly underestimate the holiness of the God that we've offended. And um, I, I just want us to, I guess, right now, take a few steps back in our mind um, and just, just think about who God is. You know, like if we think of God as creator, um, he is the holy creator that we have, we have rejected. And as, as creator, we owe everything we have to him. As our creator, we are completely at his mercy for all that we have, for our health, for our physical needs, for just our existence. And yet we as humans struggle to depend on him in prayer and we struggle even to thank him for the goodness he shows us. I think Colossians chapter 1 goes as far as saying um, it was Jesus. Jesus made all things and all things are made for Jesus. Essentially, we're created by Jesus and for Jesus. Yet we are told every day by the world around us, on the media, we belong to ourselves. Advertising, telling us all the time, you deserve better. Our society as a whole is shifting to placing ourselves at the beginning of the universe. Yet when I read the Bible, I see the complete opposite. With Jesus at the center, all of us created by him and for him. And that's just thinking about God as creator. Like, you know, if we step back and think about God as our judge, um, like you can read several places in the New Testament where it actually says Jesus is the judge, not just God the Father. Um, like one example, in the book of Isaiah, I forget, it's in the second half, maybe around 40 somewhere, um, it says every knee will bow before God. Uh, this is the God of the Old Testament. And then we have Paul, uh, a Pharisee, knew the Old Testament back to front, inspired by God. He writes in Philippians 2, grabs this verse from Isaiah and says, every knee will bow before Jesus, in, you know, um, Every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth in Philippians 2. We often sing that song. This, this God in the Old Testament that we bow down to is actually Jesus. Jesus is God with us. Uh, anyway, when, when, when I read through the Bible uh, myself, what, what I don't see is people at the center. What I do see is, is a glimpse of my own heart and how far I fall short. And it, and it leaves me with this tension of, Wow, how, how can this loving God and holy God consider someone like me? Because um, basically the world around us is constantly spewing out this human-centered message. 
And this is why we need to be continually doing this, doing church, getting together, encouraging one another to live with Jesus at the center, reading our Bible, learning about this God who is our holy judge and creator, and being reminded that we are forgiven sinners if you trust Jesus, who are continually or rather have a bias to keep walking away from him. Uh, And the tension in our minds really should be, how can God both love me and be holy? Uh, Every other tension in our life should actually pale uh, in comparison. I think one way someone has worded this tension is, is this, only man should pay the consequences of his sin, but only God can pay the consequences. Now think about name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. You know, this is God taking in himself the punishment that sinful humans deserve. Um, you know, the cross, it's not God condoning our behavior. It's God absorbing the punishment in himself. Uh, like the holiness of God is actually meaningless unless there is judgment. Uh, I love this, this next quote from, um, from Mr. Forsyth here. I actually don't know anything about him. I just read it in a book and put it up there but he writes the one thing that God could not do in the face of human rebellion was nothing he must either afflict punishment or assume it take it in himself and he chose the latter course the second one as honoring the law while saving the guilty he took his own judgment now if you get into a conversation with someone and they ask you what God is like God's own heart suffered on the cross Um, he took his own judgment this is what God is like so that I like this second last line um, so that he could save the guilty God himself giving himself for us to save the guilty ones Uh, we sing sometimes amazing love how can it be that thou my God should die for me so what's God like it's Emmanuel, God with us, humbling himself to a manger because of his love towards guilty people like you and me. God coming to save us from ourselves by taking the punishment upon himself. Um, Another way someone has worded it is, as divine love triumphing over divine wrath by divine self-sacrifice. Or in Romans 3, you get another great, great glimpse of it. You know, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received um, by faith. And I just want to run through a few quick scenarios with you guys um, before we finish. Like, just, just imagine if, if Jesus was nothing more than a man like, like you or me um, and not God, he could not absorb God's wrath, nor would he be that perfect sacrifice. And if God, if Jesus rather were simply God and not man, then he can't represent humanity, nor could he even die. But we have God incarnate, God taking on a second nature, both divine and and human, the man Jesus Christ, representing humanity, absorbing God's wrath. Uh, This is why we need Christmas. This is why we need God to take on a human nature. Um, And some people look at this and, and ridicule like one time I was teaching scripture in Brisbane and in year two I had a student put up their hand and say, God is bad because God sent his son to die. 
Um, and I think it was exactly what his parents would have um, fed him from this famous atheist here called Richard Dawkins, who basically says the cross is cosmic child abuse, where God the Father is using Jesus as a, basically a whipping boy to satisfy his unreasonable anger. Um, and if you think about John 3.16, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, we, we can be questioning, do we actually have a cruel God sending an unwilling son to, to die on the, the cross? Um, this is why we need all of the Bible, to, to inform our picture and not just cherry-pick uh, certain passages. So uh, we're encouraged as Christians to look to Jesus here in Hebrews. Who This is Jesus. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. This is the Jesus who says, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Uh, when we open the Bible, we see a God who is united, Holy Spirit, Father, Son. This isn't the Father over the Son or the Son over the Father. Um, and if you go the other way around, if you put the, the Son pleading, trying to persuade a, a stubborn or bloodthirsty Father who grudgingly accepts payment on the cross, um, that's not what we see in the Bible. You know, somewhere in Ezekiel, uh, it says, God does not delight in the death of the wicked. Or Ephesians 2, because of his great love for us. Uh, we, we have a Father, Son, Spirit united coming here. And that's why I love these references to the Holy Spirit in Matthew's Gospel. You've got the Father who is orchestrating everything. You've got this Holy Spirit who's impregnating Mary. And you've got Mary carrying the Son. It's all there together, all unified. Um, Jesus is not the victim of God's harsh justice. God is not the object of Jesus' persuasion. We have you know, with this amazingly large God who had no obligation or no need to create us, no obligation to save us. The cup given by the Father, voluntarily taken up by the Son, and in love he bears a penalty for sin on himself and dies as our substitute. Um, and this isn't God telling us, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. This isn't God telling us, jump through these hoops. This is God meeting his own standards of perfection. Uh, Jesus, our perfect representative, um, Jesus dying in our place. Um, that's why I love, love this quote here. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man makes prerogatives which belong to God alone. God accepts penalties which belong to man alone. The judge takes the place of the one who ought to be judged. And, and I think we need to remember the only alternative is hell. Um, we have much to be thankful for. Um, so at Christmas time, as we look at these Christmas cards of Jesus meek and mild, um, I want you to think of the ultimate tension between God and humanity. I want you to think about the God who would become one of us in order to die for us. Uh, and our response is not to try harder so that God might like us. But as our, as our view of God gets bigger, um, as we see the love and mercy of God and the stench of our own sin, the grace that we experience should flavor all that we do, changes every conversation we have, even conversations with telcos. Okay, the, 
Now, the grace of God, the more we see it, the more it shapes us to become more and more like Jesus himself. Um, and I couldn't think of a better way to finish than, to, uh, I won't read all of Rock of Ages to you, but we're about to, about to sing Rock of Ages because um, it just captures this big idea. But, but nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Stained by sin to you I cry, wash me saviour or I die. While I draw this fleeting breath, when mine eyelids close in death, when I saw two realms unknown, bow before the judgment throne, hide me then my refuge be, rock of ages cleft for me. Um, I might pray and then we'll uh, sing this song. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your grace. Uh, we thank you for your, your justice, which was poured out onto Christ. Uh, we thank you for your, your mercy, which is given to us day after day. We thank you that you're a God who does not give us what we deserve. You're a God who um, gives Jesus what we deserve. Uh, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the opportunity to um, uh, share with friends and relatives um, over the next month or so about, well, all year round, but especially now, um, about this amazing sacrifice that you have. Help us to have hearts which can see how big you are, how loving you are, how merciful you are. Help us to have the eyes of our hearts open to see your power, but also to see our own sinfulness. Help us to be in awe of your grace and help it to flavour all that we do, all that we say and all that we think, um, all for your glory. Um, in Jesus' name, amen.